You're listening to another life-transforming message from C3 Church San Diego. For more information on our church, go to c3sandiego.com. Open your Bible and have a look in Ephesians chapter 6. I want to share a message that's, uh, I wish someone had taught me this. I had to learn this stuff the hard way. So I encourage you, don't learn it the hard way. You can learn, two thing, learn things two ways. You can either learn by someone helping you or you can learn the hard way. It's much easier if you learn by someone telling you. And I wish I'd had someone to tell us, but we learned the hard way. We learned. That's the main thing. So I want to share some things, and uh, there's a lot I could share about this, more than one message, but uh, I want to share a message called Overcoming the Spirit of Jezebel. Overcoming the Spirit of Jezebel. And uh, this has got something in it for everyone, eh? <laughs> so don't turn to the spouse or someone next to you. Listen up. It's for you. No, no, no. <laughs> There's something in it for you. That's why you're here. It's funny, you get to meetings and people always wish, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. They needed to hear that. <laughs> and while you're thinking they needed to hear that, you've gone like that. <laughs> la, 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 la. I'm not listening. No, no, we all need to hear, don't we? The Bible tells us Jesus' message was about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is about the rule of God. It's about being aligned with him, our father who loves us. It's about bringing our life into divine order. And when it's in divine order, blessing flows upon our lives. So by faith in what Jesus has done, we access blessing. But God blesses what he's ordered. So our journey is one of bringing our life into the order or the way, the design. You know, if you buy something, there's always got a purpose for it, and there's always a way to make it work right. And uh, if you follow the uh, way it's supposed to work, then it works really good. If you just try your own way, then often you cause damage without realizing it. And uh, so God has designed us to live related to him and aligned with his order. And his order is his kingdom. It's his will being manifested in our relationships and life. It's the breach of that creates destruction. Wow. So Jesus' plan is to bring us back to the Father and then to heal our broken hearts, to set us free from captivity, and to cause us to walk into a life that is increasingly blessed. See, increasingly blessed. And not just for us, but for our children as well. So in, 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 in doing that, then he says in, in Romans chapter 14, it says, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is seen easily. It's, it's righteousness, right order, right relationships. It's also peace in the inner man, yeah. peace in the heart, no matter what's going on around you, and a joy the Holy Ghost brings. So one of the ways you can see if someone's life is aligned and connected with God and walking in the Spirit is there's a peace in their heart and a joy that the Holy Ghost gives. <laughs> and it's something inside you, see? The kingdom of heaven also is described as confronting demons and driving them out. Kingdom of heaven is God's order in our life. Jesus made it very clear in his teaching that if we seek first or put the kingdom of heaven first in our lives, everything we need will be attracted to us. And he contrasts that with living a life of fear and anxiety and worrying about tomorrow. So if you look at the culture we're in, it's all full of fear. And it's worrying about this and worrying about that and all that kind of stuff. And so when people are living under the bondage of fear, they're living under the power of another spirit. Because the spirit of God brings peace. 
it brings a calmness, it brings a joy in our life in the face of adversity because it's not about my efforts, it's about God's ability to work through me to bring transformation. So when we look in Ephesians chapter 6, we begin to see the Bible talks about a hidden warfare, something that's not visible, it's invisible, but manifests in a visible way. And he talks in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians, Ephesians is about all about what Christ has done for us, about us being connected by grace to what he's done. Then it's all about our divine order and relationships and husbands and wives and families and getting our life right. Then he comes to the reason for all of that, which is warfare. So in order to engage in warfare, you must be in alignment with the Father to have his power and authority. So in verse 10, he said, Finally, my brethren... So that's after everything. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Well, that's a whole message of his own. He said that, but put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And notice there he's saying that the devil has cunning plans. A cunning plan is designed to trick you and trap you. People get tricked and trapped without realizing it. That's how birds get into a trap. They didn't re-see the trap. They just saw the bait and went in. And so he, says, so he says, put on the whole armor of God. The armor of God generally refers literally to the word of God or to truth. So truth is our greatest defense against demonic activity. And then he says, for, for, here's why you need to do this. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We are in conflict and struggles and we have difficulties with people, but that's not where our conflict is. Our conflict is with spiritual powers who are seeking to control people and divide relationships and destroy. So he says, for a Christian, your conflict is not people. Your conflict is with demonic powers. However, they do work through people to manifest their intentions. So when Jesus announced the ministry of the kingdom, he introduced the ministry of deliverance. Deliverance and the kingdom go hand in hand. Whenever you start to preach or minister or develop things on the kingdom, it brings you into confrontation with something invisible that is there causing hidden destruction. Always. So the message of the, of, of the church must be the kingdom. That's what Jesus taught and preached. That's what he commanded the disciples to do the same thing. So, so in Ephesians tells us then that for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, rulers over nations, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and then wicked spirits in the spirit world. So take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand, stand therefore. And notice the word stand comes up all those times. So when the Bible wants to get your attention, it repeats the word, usually repeats it once. When it repeats it four times, it's really to, it's, in other words, what it's saying is, don't be a pushover. Don't be a pansy and a pushover. Get something inside you. Don't roll over and take stuff. You've got to learn to get some fight inside you. We're called to be overcomers. That's why it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. It's a spiritual strength. And he said, the reason you need to be spiritual strength, strong, which is an exchange with the Lord's strength for our weakness, is because there is a real conflict. Yeah. And if you're not strong and armored and don't know what to do, you'll fold over and come under and it will cost you. If it just costs you, that's one thing. It costs the next generation also. And so your battle is never just about you. It's always about the next generation. And that's why these things are so important. So... Uh, the spirit of Jezebel is a power, not just a demon, it is a power. 
It's given the name Jezebel because of where it originates or seems to originate, but it goes right back to the Garden of Eden, really. It's a spiritual power. And because it's a power, it's in the second heaven and it operates through spirits that affect people's lives with various things. And uh, it's neither male nor female. Spirits are neither gender. They're not male, they're not female. They work in men, they work in women. Wherever things are out of God's order and control and domination come, there is the spirit working. And so it's a power that operates. And the Bible tells us it's a power that will be very prevalent in the end time and that God will release his anointing to confront it. So we know that in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, where it says, in the, uh, Before the great and coming day of the Lord, he said, I will send the spirit of Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest I come, there's the second coming, it's before the second coming, and smite the earth with a curse. So what he's saying is that in the last days, there will be a conflict in the earth that will require an end time move of God and that end time move of God will be to do in the nations what Elijah did in his day. What did he do in his day? In his day, a, a power uh, represented by the name of the, the woman Jezebel who married Ahab. Jezebel was a worshipper of Baal. She was the daughter of Ethbaal who was a Sidonian and that word means to catch in a snare. And the, uh, her father was a high priest of Baal, and uh, they worshipped Baal, and they worshipped Ashtoreth, and they created all of these images and whatever. Uh, but primarily the key things behind that was sexual perversion, uh, gender uh, change or gender equalization, and also the sacrifice of children. And if you look, these are the current issues in society now that are right at the front of you, but they're old issues. They're, 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 they're new for us, but they're the reappearance of old spirits in the earth. And so uh, Jezebel married Ahab, who was the king of Israel. He entered into an alliance with her for convenience. And he becomes seduced. The nation becomes seduced, come under the power of the spirit, and became confused and bewitched. They didn't know really what was right and wrong. And so Elijah confronts the spirit. <clears throat> he calls the people together and he confronts their confusion. If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And then he proves the powerlessness of the Baal prophets. And there's this confrontation and fire comes from heaven. But the key issue is to understand that the anointing that was on him to bring transformation in the nation is the same anointing God will release in the end times because the same conditions and problem will exist. We read the stories but can't easily connect it to the day we live in and how it outworks. So I want to just lift the lid off it a little bit so you kind of get an idea uh, what it is. Okay then. So then, so we look there and you see the mention of Jezebel is in the Old Testament. It's a woman who uh, was allied with Ahab. It's also mentioned in the New Testament in Revelations 2.20 and it's talking about the church. Jesus is speaking to the church and he says in verse 20, he, say, he tells all the great things the church did and then he says, I have this one thing against you. So he, says, so he honors the church for all they've done but he says, I've got something against you. There's something really lacking. He said, for you allow or permit or suffer or tolerate that woman Jezebel to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and offer food to idols. 
So notice there, he's saying that in the end time, there is a spirit operating that is self-promoting, calls herself. In other words, self-promoting. It's all about me and about what I do and who I am. And it teaches, that word means to shape the thinking and the way people live. And in doing so, seduce them away from intimacy with God and into sexual perversions of various kinds and into substitutes for intimacy with God. Hence, the same need will be there. He said that Jesus' complaint is, you're letting it happen and you're not rising up to do anything about it. So let me tell you this. If you tolerate it in your life and marriages and in the church, how can you deal with it in the nation? Think about it. You can have all the protests you like, but at the end, there's got to be a dealing with and putting things in order so you carry the authority to deal with it, okay? So, so then what is the assignment of the Jezebel spirits? Remember, it's a power that works through people. They've got several things it's working to do, and it's always working to do these things. Let me explain what they are. Number one, to seduce people away from the intimacy with God and to serve substitutes. In other words, take them away from real... It brings them to religion. Having a form but no power. The devil doesn't mind you going to church and praise the Lord. He just doesn't want you to have a life filled with power because that would be a challenge to his kingdom. See, in other words, he wants you to be filled with substitutes for intimacy. Intimacy with God. Second thing, second thing is to attack the prophetic and the the ministry and the supernatural ministry so the church is devoid of power because it's only the supernatural can contend with the demonic and deal with things which are hidden. And the problem is when the church won't welcome the ministry of the Holy Spirit, won't welcome the power of God, won't welcome the prophetic, then it cuts out the whole supernatural dimension that people need to be free. Jesus said, he said, the Spirit of God has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, set the captives free. This is the ministry of Jesus. He said, the works I do, you will do also. These signs you'll follow all them that believe. In other words, his intention is the church operates supernaturally. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, he says, Now the ministration of the Spirit or the manifestation of the Holy Ghost is given to every believer for building up others. So Jesus' intention is the church be supernatural because the problems can't be solved naturally. If they could be solved naturally, you wouldn't need them to die on the cross. If they could be solved naturally, you wouldn't need the power of the Spirit. So the devil wants to get rid of the cross, the blood, and every mention of the power of the Holy Ghost. And I really want to honor Pastor Jürgen and Leanne because when they came here, people said, you can't build a church with the Holy Spirit. I said, well, what kind of church is it without the Holy Ghost? Really? It's a church full of broken people that are pretending. My. All kinds of stuff. See? So, <laughs> so the other thing the Spirit does is it attacks identity. The spirit of, uh, of Jezebel will attack your identity and fill you with rejection. So you live as a rejected person and insecure. And people who have not got a sense of identity find their identity outside themselves and are always insecure. You put it into your position, your role, your title, your work, your money, or whatever. So it attacks our identity and also destroys the legacy of the next generation. So we find in the story in the Old Testament, there was a man, Naboth, who was a godly man who had an inheritance, 
and he wanted to keep the inheritance, and Jezebel wanted to get it out of his hands, so she brought a false accusation against him, had him killed, took the legacy. Now, the principle behind it is that that spirit wants to steal the next generation. So you can come to church and be nice and do whatever, but if the thing is to stop your children carrying the life of God, it's to actually affect the next generation by disempowering this generation from engaging with them, praying with them, investing into them. See, a, a godly man leaves a legacy or inheritance for his children's children, three generations. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is three generations always. So we have seven children, all married, all in church, seven and 24 grandchildren, and we invest in all, we try to invest something in all of them because it's still your responsibility. If you want a legacy to continue, you've got to keep working with the next generation. So Jezebel's spirit seeks to divide and destroy the next generation. And it only has to do it simply by getting you to complain about church and withdraw. Your kids stop going altogether. Their friends now are unsafe friends. And now your legacy is gone. Completely. You've lost it just in one generation. Because now... You've got uh, family divided spiritually. And see, that's that's why parents and grandparents need to be in intercessory prayer for your grandchildren. And for the spouses they'll choose, that they'll choose godly people. That the legacy of Christ will be carried on further. We all thinking now... I, we, we meet lots of people who say, oh, no, we don't worry now. We've done our bit. We're going to spend the kids' inheritance. We're just going to do our thing. We've done our bit. We raised our kids. That is ungodly. It's ungodly. What are you thinking? You're only thinking of yourself. We should be thinking generationally. That's how God thinks. Thinking of the next generation. Okay, anyway. So, so, so that's what it does, see? It, it Here's another thing that spirit does. It will seek to actively undermine and destroy God's order for relationships. So particularly marriages and marriage order comes under attack. The whole thing in the last 40 years has been an attack on God's order in families to destroy what God intended in terms of covenant and in terms of relationships and order and structures of authority and understanding authority. And so it attacks all of that so that Husbands withdraw from their responsibility, become passive. Wives become insecure, rise up and have to manage everything and are left uncovered, unprotected and attacked by spirits of fear. Because the men didn't rise up and take their leadership properly and love and minister their wives and act as an intercessor. When Jezebel was brought to justice, it was Ahab who was confronted for allowing it to be there. He was the first one to be dealt with. Okay, anyway, we'll move on. (laughs) And and then it creates bitterness and division in in relationships everywhere. Okay, so how does the spirit gain access? How does that spirit gain access? It's a power that gains access through lots of little doorways. But let me give you a few of the doorways. Here's number one doorway. Number one doorway is generational control. Generational control. Generational uh, strongholds of control. So in a family, you have an insecurity. See, you only realize that whatever gets into your life now is a part of the legacy you hand on. You hand on good, you'll also hand on the other stuff. 
And so in some families, you have a very insecure man or a very insecure woman, and then they become very controlling. And then they build a pattern of controlling. When you control your children and control your wife or control your spouse, then they shut down talking and they bury their anger and their resentment and their rejection, and they just comply. They want your approval and acceptance, so they comply. But inside, they're angry, their deepening resentment and bitterness have been rejected, and they either learn to bury their identity and never really share and become passive people, compliant people, or they become quite aggressive and assertive, and they manifest that same spirit. So it's a huge issue. It's a massive issue to understand and to deal with it. Uh, so one way is generation. And another way it, it gains access is through the occult. So if you've been involved in any form of spiritism, fortune-telling, or, or occult powers of any kind, you've directly opened a doorway for that spirit to operate because divination is about gaining information in order to be in control, and, uh, and sorcery or magic is about gaining power to be in control. So those things show up in the dynamic of Jezebel operating, it's always about information and power, position, titles, ability to be able to control and manage and keep the world contained so it's safe for me. A third way that the spirit enters, and the most common way, is through traumatic experiences that remain unresolved. So trauma experiences, sexual abuse, abandonment, rejection, divorce in the family, betrayal by people. Uh, there's so many different forms that people can experience trauma, but all trauma and wounding experiences leave you vulnerable to fear because we become fear, fearful of being hurt again. And then bitterness enters in, uh, rejection enters in, and fear causes us then to want to control our relationships in the world around us so the world is safe for us. But there's no way. You can't control what people think. You can't control what they feel. You can't control what they do. It is impossible. But it's an illusion. I can, and you do all you can, but you live in stress and fear and always in tension. You can't ever rest because you're trying to get everything in control so it's safe for me. But you can't do that. It's just impossible to do. So what you're doing leaves you in stress all the rest of your life and vulnerable to being manipulated by that demonic power. And it just manipulates you. Anything that triggers your fear will launch you into control mode or reaction mode to control. So people control by getting very angry and, and, and intimidating others so they shut up and withdraw and give in. Or they intimidate or they, or they, they, they become very weepy or they go quiet. They give them the silent treatment. Oh, that's just a form of control. It's all about manipulating people to get what you want. So kids can do it, adults can do it, people do it, they all do it. Uh, <laughs> you either yield to the Holy Ghost and you're a free man, or you yield to fear and you're a bound person and you try to control conversations. Don't talk about that, don't go there. Don't go there, we don't go there. And it gets life's like we don't go, everywhere you don't go. It's like we just don't go anywhere because we don't want, it's too frightening to go there. <laughs> I might start, showing up some stuff. And so then image becomes everything. What it looks like is more important than what it is. Oh, well, you know that someone next to you needed to hear that. <laughs> we'll talk about this afterwards. <laughs> Won't we? Yeah, I guess so. So it goes on. It's a spirit. 
See, Jesus came to introduce loving relationships, which give people permission to be themselves and to make choices. And so there it is. So, so, so when the Spirit gains access, there's a, there's a fruit it produces in people's lives. There's always a fruit it produces. I'll just list a few of the fruit and then show you how you can get free of it. And uh, again, it's a journey to freedom. It's not like, let's quickly pray a prayer. Get, fix everything up in one prayer. Everything I've been messing up all my life, fix it with one prayer. <laughs> you be responsible for fixing me. It's not going to work like that. You've got to take ownership of the journey into a life in the Spirit. Okay? A journey out of one kingdom into the other. All right. So, but it helps if you can kind of recognize some of the, the fruits of it. And uh, now this is not all. I've got a few, quite a few more. And you can, I can either spin it as it relates to a church or an organization or as it relates to a marriage or just individual. It's, so I probably just looked at just relationships in general. And, uh, but anyway, here's some of the things. Now, don't, it's, a tech, it's a checklist. It is. <laughs> so if you get bingo, you can yell out bingo, you know. <laughs> ho! Ho! Well, a whole lot. <laughs> You'll be first up on the prayer line. Frequently, there's just one or two, maybe three or four. It's just, it may be, see, the, d- the degree of being under the influence can vary from mildish to very strong, to total control, and then the person actually controls everyone, and then that's that look from granny across the room that everyone withers and shuts up. How did she do that? The look. How could, they, how could she give a look and everyone suddenly complies? And no, that's a spirit. <laughs> Everyone's afraid. Don't upset your mother. And so it goes on. Don't upset your father. I mean, it goes on. It's, for, it's neither male nor female. Okay, don't upset your dad. Stay out of sight. He's coming home. You know? <laughs> it's, it's, but it's a horrendous thing. Everyone lives in fear and anxiety. It's, it just is a destroyer. So if you can see it, you can work on it. Anyway, here's some of the symptoms. These are some of the fruit that show up. Number one, a deep fear of rejection. A deep fear of rejection that causes people to want to control everyone, control people, control circumstances. The, the, the goal is I, I don't want to be hurt or vulnerable. So the fear of rejection causes people to control so they don't get hurt. So, so that's the whole thing. And, and people who are like that are never at rest. They're always uptight. So when you're with them, you feel uptight. You get near some people and suddenly you feel up tense. What is that? Oh, it's fear and witchcraft operating around their life. And you've come into its zone. And now, my God, I, I can't touch anything. I might leave a mark. It's like, it's like the control is so severe in some places. Others, it's not so much. But I, I, I've known some people walk in a room and suddenly you feel the anxiety and fear in the room. You think, my God, someone's, what's happened? It's just there's a spirit on their life. And it's usually rooted in deep rejection. Uh, a second thing is they often play the victim role. They play the victim role. And so when, when you try to raise any issues, not me. And uh, so they're never wrong. A person who's got that spirit is never wrong. Because to be wrong would be vulnerable. They'll never admit they're wrong. Can never admit they're wrong. Deep root of pride works with it. And they blame everyone else. So everyone else is to blame. That's what a victim does. They blame everyone. So, so when you say no or try to stand up to the person and say and point out an issue, you have got a fight on your hands. See, the moment you say no, which means a boundary, or try to point out their behavior is affecting you, you'll never get an easy resolution because there's a spirit will drive it. 
And so what happens, people like that then deny everything totally, so strongly you begin to doubt whether you got it right. And they deny everything and then immediately turn on you and accuse you or blame you or blame someone else. There's never any sense of ownership or responsibility. And then they become very emotional to redirect your attention away from the issue. So they either become so angry you lose sight of what the issue is because now you're being assaulted, or they become so full of tears you lose sight of what you're doing. Oh, they're wanting you to comfort them, you see. So it's just like, wow, how do I handle that? Uh, I don't know. So most guys go, it's beyond me. I think I need to go out the garage, you know, (laughs) go out the shed, have another drink, watch something, you know. (laughs) Can't handle it. But then it works with guys too. Guys can become like that and they become incredibly imposing and dominant and oppressive of the family and everyone is hurt and traumatized by it. So people like that hold grudges. They hold grudges. They'll never, ever forget anything. You know, and when you think it's forgiven, it isn't. It's just stored in a ledger for the next time and it'll be brought back up again. And you think, my God, I thought we'd gotten over that. No, here it is back there right in your face again. And it's like it never goes away. They're very vengeful in that respect. They remember your faults and they'll bring them up and use them against you. Another thing uh, I found with people who are stuck in that spirit is they're very ungrateful. They, they really ever say thank you because they're bitter inside and have a sense of entitlement that I'm owed stuff. And so they'll often respond that way. Uh, they've got an extraordinary ability to gain information. They want to know every detail. And... If you get near someone who's got that spirit operating, they'll draw out of you even personal information and think afterwards, why did I say that? Why did I give all that stuff away? It wasn't even appropriate to share that, but they've sucked it all out of you. And then now it's power. Knowledge is power, you see. And uh, so, so there's some people who've got, ex- they know everything. It doesn't matter what, they always know what's going on. They know stuff you don't know. How do they know all those things? I don't know where they fit it in their head. I don't even want to know all those things. <laughs> But they know, because they need to know it provides power. It's all about the power. Information is power. They they will often flatter to gain influence. They'll be sweet and sweet and sweet and sweet and sweet. But there's an agenda, always an agenda behind it. The sweetness disguises that actually there's a hidden agenda of influence and control. Uh, They distort communication. So when the Spirit's operating, then, then communication's always confused. There's always misunderstanding, always misrepresentation. So people can be nice to you, but behind your back, they distort and misrepresent you. It's a spirit operating. It creates confusion, division, discord that God hates. They cut people off if you disagree or, or, or don't go along with what they say or raise a question. Then you'll get an abrupt shutdown and a cutoff, and they won't even talk to you. I'm amazed. I've been in places where people were drawn in, and if they drew, in a church especially, drawn in. In the moment they didn't ask a question, suddenly they're cut off. That's control operating. That's not how God works. God doesn't work that way. He talks things through and works things out with us. They've got an incredible capacity to serve, which makes you draw, welcome them into your world because they can do so much. But the other side of the coin is that they're serving with an agenda to eliminate everyone else so you become dependent on them. And they can be in control. So it's quite heartbreaking in any organization, any family, any situation where the spirit is operating because the person will draw in, but then, then make you indebted to them because of all this work they're doing. Wow. It's really quite a nasty thing. 
And then what will happen is if you're a leader in an organization, they will undermine everyone around you by speaking about their faults and then promoting themselves as being able to do it to the point where actually everyone's eliminated except them. And then they have the influence next to the leader. And so I watch that in churches, watch that in people, their agendas for serving. And then, of course, when they're near the leader, then what they'll do to everyone under them is, is like this, is they'll, they'll talk negatively about the leader's faults. Oh, they're really good in this, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, there's this, this, and they'll uncover the leader. And they say, but, you know, but I'm here to kind of fix it. God's put me here for this. And they, so they're very super spiritual, spiritualize everything. And you feel like, they seem to know God so well. No, they don't. They've got a familiar spirit. They're, de they're demonized. They don't know God well. They're just putting on an impression. So it makes you feel like you're not spiritual. But then underneath, then they'll be misrepresenting the leader. And then to the leader, they'll misrepresent or hold back what's really happening. So the control becomes immense. And then if the leader has to face them, now they risk losing everyone under them as well. Because they become under the spell of the person who is manipulating. This is a major issue for organizations, major issue in marriages and families and churches and things. It's a huge issue. And so we have to have strategies how to overcome it. But the first thing is to recognize it. And so it gets at work. It's at work in the nation. It's across the nation. It's so visible, you'd have to be almost blind to not see it. It's everywhere operating in the nation, manifesting in various kinds of ways. And so the moment you stand up and say no then now it becomes hostile. So it's either seductive or hostile. Draw you so it can control you or attack you in every kind of way and run you down and, and belittle you. Until, and, and, and when you suffer from a Jezebelic attack, it's, in, it's horrendous. So you see Je Elijah, when Elijah is stood up and he's starting to move in the spirit and the power of God, this thing attacks him. This is attacking the man of God. And what happens, the first thing is he's filled with fear and loses his perspective of God. And as soon as he does that, he begins to withdraw from the responsibility God had given him. Then he began to isolate. Then he started to sit down under a tree, become passive. Then he became depressed, and then he becomes suicidal. That's the pattern when the spirit is attacking. And that can be anywhere. When it attacks you, you feel afraid. You can't see where God is or what to do. You get distorted. You start to draw back. And then you begin to be isolated. And then fill your mind with other things and do distracting things. And then you start to become passive. Oh, what's the use? And then before you know it, there's depression and heaviness and suicide. That spirit is what's causing people to commit suicide. I prayed for pastors to be free of a suicidal spirit. It was just a witchcraft attack on them. They didn't understand it. The moment they understood that dynamic in, in 1 Kings chapter 19 and saw it there, they said, you need to stand up. It's a spirit. You've got to, the place it got in your heart, you have to deal with that thing that gave it access and stand up and push it back and stand in the authority that God gave you. Oh, you all got so quiet now. Okay. Well, there's lots of stuff around those things too. But, but God anoints people and gives them authority to rise up and overcome it. And the classic example is Jehu. You find him in 2 Kings chapter 9. Jehu was just one of the ordinary uh, commanders in the army, and he was under, confused about the whole thing. But when the anointing came on him, he's clear. I know what I need to do. I confront that thing. And you know, several times that he was on his way to confront that spirit, what happens is they send, oh, is there peace? Is there peace? Can we compromise and work something out? 
And his reply, no peace while that spirit operates. No peace while that spirit operates. And the second time they come, is their peace? Is their peace? No, no peace. You either align with me or I'm against you. There's actually quite a boundary drawn over this thing. And then he comes and he actually faces Jezebel. And she paints herself up and then accuses him. And he just inspires the eunuchs, the men who've been emasculated, to get back their identity and take action and cast down that spirit. And they did. So, so I mean, the story's full of stuff that we could share, but I've just given you just a little bit here and there to get you going. I want to just talk a few steps to get free, okay? A few steps to get free. So to, we need to recognize it's a spirit. If it's a spirit, then you need spiritual empowerment to overcome it. In other words, this is not just about people and about relationships. This is about spiritual activity working in and through people. That's why it's so difficult to deal with. Sometimes to deal with it, we need some support because it is so difficult. And uh, so the first thing is to recognize, has that spirit got any room of operation in my life? Jesus said, the devil comes, but he's got nothing in me he can manipulate. So is there any generational uh, fear, anxiety, control? Are there any uh, bondages, uh, uh, traumas? Are there any things in my life that this thing is using to manipulate me? See, so for example, if you have rejection, you want people to accept you. So then the battle is over the acceptance. They have what you want so they can manipulate you. But if they don't have what you want, if you're free, then you can stand up. So, so it's again, it's about recognizing, uh, is there anything in me that is manipulated or is responding? Then I've got to deal with it. So, uh, so we recognize it quite simply, and we need to repent of tolerating it operating in my life, either operating against me and I let it happen, or operating in me and I'm cooperating with it. Whichever it is, I've got to stop tolerating it. To tolerate means to allow it continue without any resistance to it at all. It's easier just to let it be. Well, that was what Jesus confronted the church over. You're just being passive and tolerant. You're allowing it to operate in your lives and in your midst, and you are not doing anything. And he said, you need to do something. The issue is one of repentance. So the key thing initially is remove the doors of entrance in your life, and that gives you authority again. James 4, 7, if we submit to God, we can resist the devil, and he will flee from us. So the first process is the process of submitting to God to remove all possible avenues or routes or doorways into your life. So if there's some sin area, we need to repent of the sin, confess it, and bring it to the cross, bring that behavior and the root of it to an end. If there's a wound or a trauma or something in our heart, we need to open it up, face the pain of it that we've run away from, and bring it to the Lord for healing and for freedom. That means forgiving the people who hurt us, because it's still the doorway that you get manipulated by fear. That gives us then... Uh, the ability now to stand up. If we've got any entanglements with controlling people or controlling things, we sometimes need to let, let go of those entanglements. And uh, that's, that's quite a process, really, of becoming free so I can actually stand up and get my life back again and set the boundaries again. The thing about control is very simply this. A, a controlling spirit is if you take the issue of boundaries, what's that side is my responsibility, what this side is your responsibility, so control moves the boundaries. So if I'm a controlling person, I move into your territory and invade you. 
And so now you gave up control because you wanted peace. And so now you're, you're suffering because the territory which is yours, I'm taking responsibility for the decisions and what's happening. And so resentment and grief and despair, because that's not what's intended. It's a violation. Okay? Uh, or I could be, sorry, if I, I could be a controller and I'm invading your territory, taking on responsibility to protect you because I'm afraid what may happen. The other side is if I let someone in and I allow them to dominate, control me, manipulate me, and I don't actually stand up, I will feel rejected and hurt and grieved and depressed and suffer under all of that. So either way, there's a boundary violation. And in the end, it's not just the spirit. I've actually got to stand up, deal with the stuff in my heart, and regain and reset the boundaries. So if I've been controlling people, I've got to stop that and put them in the hands of the Lord and usually apologize and put the relationship right. If I've let go and given control to people to manipulate me, I've got to repent and stand up and set a boundary. And now that's going to cause a conflict, just even just putting a boundary. See? Because the people who get angry, the people who most benefited from you not having a boundary are the ones that get angry when you set one. So people could walk over you the moment you say, no more walking over me. In like, um, no, you can't do that. No, I'm sorry. I won't, I won't permit that. The moment you do that, it's all on. They want to push you back to see if you will really stand. That's why the Bible says stand. You've got to reset the boundary. Resetting the boundary is getting ownership of your life again. Resetting the boundary means stopping, taking over someone else's life. Resetting the boundaries means I get into alignment with my father. And in the area I'm in alignment, he can empower me then to overcome that spirit. I may have to stand in prayer and maybe in a fasting for a season to break the power of the Spirit, but eventually I've got to face the people and the behaviors that are causing the problem and say no to that. No more. No more will I do this. No more will I do that. So when, say, children are manipulating their parents, no more will we do that. You set a boundary. And what will happen? Oh, they get angry. Why are they getting Because they're benefited from you not having the boundary. It, it doesn't matter where it is. It's the same kind of principle. I encourage you to, under, to, to get a hold of this, go through it, have a think about it, and look, where in your life you're out of order. In the end, it means I must come and bring my life back under the Holy Spirit again and start to yield to the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, and say, God, how do you want me to order my relationships? What's mine, I'm empowered in. What's yours is yours. I'm not going to run it anymore. Does that make sense to you? And, and all of you at this point would recognize we're either... You were running someone because of fear. Fear they wouldn't do it right. Fear that it wouldn't work out. Fear that they make a mistake there. All that kind of thing. Or you've let someone run you because you wanted something from them. Approval or wanted them to be nice to you, whatever. And, and you've given up ground. And now you're resentful and bitter and angry and depressed because of it and feel powerless. See, all of us must stop tolerating and stand up and say, I've yielded to the Spirit, let it control me so I'm out of order, and now I've got a problem. Now I repent and make a change. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, team, and what we do at C3 San Diego, go to c3sandiego.com. 